I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I am producer Dan and occasional host Dan. And today... I am privileged to have someone with us who is talking about something very timely and very current, but also very long-term, two things that have come together. And so uh, we found this article online talking about the effects of what's going on in our world right now with COVID-19, the quarantine, and how that affects children. And one of the things that we do at DASIS is, uh, is give services to children in situations of abuse and domestic violence. And so the co-author, Jennifer Nottingham, has agreed to come on and talk about this article. And so, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start a little let's bit start. with a, about who you are. Can you tell the listeners who Jennifer is and why this article came up um, in your world? Sure. Uh, my current position is Senior Project Coordinator for the Michigan ACE Initiative. Uh, I work in an organization called the Michigan Public Health Institute. And ACEs, which refer to adverse childhood experiences, has become uh, something that I've, I'm very passionate about because I have seen the long-term impact of what childhood adversity does to individuals. And as someone who wants to change the world and make it better, I believe that by addressing childhood adversity, we can solve a lot of very difficult problems. Um, I actually became aware of ACEs and the impact of childhood adversity when I was doing work to improve reading outcomes, which might or might not seem related, but I was working in a school and we had a really successful reading program. When I spoke with the teacher about what else she needed, she actually said, well, now we can teach them to read. But I had a child this morning that threw a chair across the room and another that was chewing on a computer cord, and I don't know how to, I can't manage these behaviors. Mm. Um, and the child was five. So what I discovered was that if we're going to improve educational outcomes, we can't just focus on education and curriculum. We have to look at the whole child. And that's where I learned uh, about childhood adversity a study that was done in the 1990s um, by Dr. Anda and Dr. Felitti uh, that explored the impact of childhood adversity on long-term outcomes and realized if we're going to change the world, if we're going to make things better for kids and adults, we have to look at some of the root causes and some of that is around childhood adversity. Okay. So is childhood adversity just kind of another term for like abuse and difficult lives, difficulties? What is childhood childhood adverse 
childhood experiences mean? Sure. Um, in this case, the way we define childhood adversity, it refers to 10 experiences identified in that study done in the 90s that I mentioned earlier. Um, two researchers, uh, Rob Anda and Vince Folletti, did a comprehensive study on over 17,000 adults to identify what some of their challenges and experiences were and what their health outcomes were. And what they determined was that there were 10 uh, significant experiences that happened inside of the home environment that significantly affected all sorts of life outcomes. The 10 experiences are physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, physical and emotional neglect, domestic abuse and domestic violence in the home, substance dependence by a caregiver, an incarcerated caregiver, mental illness by a caregiver, and divorce. Um, they discovered that two-thirds of the individuals, and that's the same with Michigan in terms of about the number of people in Michigan that have experienced an ACE, about two-thirds of adults have at least one adverse experience. Nearly one in five Michigan adults have four or more of these experiences. What they discovered was that um, ACEs often do not happen in isolation. If one a person has one ACE, they are likely to have more than one. Um, additionally, what they found is that the more of these experiences that you have, uh, there is a higher association with increased risk for a lot of other things. For example, um, compared to somebody with an ACE score of zero, if you have an ACE score of four or more, you're 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. You're 10 times more likely to use IV drugs. You're seven times more likely to consider yourself an alcoholic. If you have an ACE score of zero, 12% uh, of the Michigan population reported depression. Individuals that had an ACE score for more, nearly half, 44%, reported that they had diagnosed depression. And so smoking, 10% of people with an ACE score of zero smoke. 37% of the individuals with four or more ACEs smoke. Um, it has also impacts not just on that emotional and uh, behaviors and experiences, but also it has physical impacts. Uh, Individuals with an ACE score of four more, four times more likely to have lung disease. They're more likely to have asthma, more likely to have stroke, more likely to have heart disease. It's associated with homelessness, work-related absences, work-related injuries. For children, um, children with an ACE score of four more are 32 times more likely to have behavioral problems, which if you think about, you know, when physicians and pediatricians and school psychologists are exposed to the information about ACEs, what they were previously diagnosed as ADHD, actually oftentimes they realize is the byproduct of the trauma that they are experiencing inside the home. Mm -hmm. So I think the next question is why? What, what, what is, why such a significant impact? That's, um, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Man. You know, I mean, it's a, a tremendous impact. So why? How does that happen? Um, it has to do with the body's stress response. Um, you've probably experienced the fight, flight, or freeze reaction. Something yep. uh, you know happens, your amygdala becomes overstimulated, and your body is flooded with stress hormones. You know, you have adrenaline and cortisol, and temporarily, those are really good things to have. 
Um, but over time, uh, if they don't go away, your DNA and your body actually will become damaged. Uh, and your brain, the brain structure, the actual neural architecture can change. Um, your that fight flight we're, it's natural to have a stress response and in fact some stress is a good thing you know we want to be able to respond our stress response was in part designed for when you know the uh you saw a bear and you had to gear up and figure out what you're going to do are you going to freeze you're going to run sure. gonna... um but what happens when the bear lives with you and that's what it's like for individuals, for children that are in homes where there's like this constant stress, the body never gets to take a break. And so um, then it affects your DNA and it affects the way um, executive functioning happens and it, ha it affects your entire body so that your uh, the physiological responses change. So the kids are like, you know, very easily triggered by the smallest um, slight or scare and it actually affects the way um, your DNA shows up and uh, the unlocks like physical challenges with your body. And so the more trauma you face, the, the worse that becomes, the worse yes. your health is and everything else. That's an, that is such an incredible insight to those around us in so many aspects, especially children. Um, so the, the article that you wrote, your co-author is ACEs and, Resili and Resilience in the Environment um, of COVID-19, right? And I actually... I'll jump into that. I do want to mention the issue of resilience. And I want to yeah. be clear, all the, um, the statistics are discouraging, but an ACE score is not a prediction. In fact, um, an individual can have four or eight or 10 ACEs and still end up okay. And that has a lot to do with resilience. Resilience is built through the presence of what are called protective factors. And what they've seen is that if protective factors, which are caring relationships and things that you um, offset that fear and that stress, uh, you can cut the impact of those ACEs by up to half. So some of those protective factors are things like feelings of belonging during high school, um, feelings of being supported by your friends, having at least a couple of caring adults in your life uh, that took a genuine interest in you, feeling comfortable talking to your family about your feelings, participating in community traditions, and having family that stood by you in tough times. That's gonna actually, that kind of plays into some of the stuff we'll talk about next about COVID, about how COVID is impacting the ability to have access to these protective factors. But what we know that like, so for example, I'll only provide one, but I can provide more. Um, for individuals that have four more ACEs or were diagnosed with depression, if the person did not have those social supports, over half, 52% were diagnosed with depression. In contrast, for the individuals that had that four more ACE score but had high social supports, they were only diagnosed with depression in 37% of the cases. So what we know is that the high social supports have a significant impact on how ACEs show up. Um, similarly, the other thing to recognize is that um, you can have just one ACE and your life can be completely like thrown off track. Uh, so yeah. the number is not a prediction tool. Okay. It's just a way to frame it and to prepare mm -hmm. to understand, but it's not the end all be all. Exactly. Okay. And when you talk about resilience, you know, uh, what I hear you say is some of the, some of the great nuggets of hope that I heard are things like uh, the support system, the people who care about you, the resources available, which 
is twofold, right? The resources are available. Organizations um, like like Dasis and others that are there to help, but also not everyone not everyone realizes that those resources are there or has access to them readily. So, getting more resources out there is so important, is what I hear you saying. Yes. Um, so when we think about resources and protective factors. Um, the resources in a community can influence the presence of protective factors. So whether that is a community organization that can provide um, emotional support or even sometimes this seems like a jump for people, but there is research that shows that um, families that experience like economic instability or um, community conditions, neighborhood conditions that are unsafe, that creates additional stress. It also limits the access to those additional resources, which then can make things worse. In contrast, the, uh, the converse is also true. If the family has access to supportive relationships, if it has access to resources in the community, um, if, they can, if they have access to things that will stabilize their household and make them feel more safe, that reduces the likelihood of them um, engaging in those kinds of negative behaviors and also will build resilience in both the children and the adults that are in the household. So there again, in addition to the emotional side of support and the giving them the tools, it's also supporting them economically in a way and, and creating, mm -hmm. you know, uh, those opportunities. Um, yeah. Anything you can do to reduce psychological stress and stabilize the family is going to build resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, offset the impact of that adversity. Okay. So then let's look at the current situation that we find ourselves in this global pandemic, um, shut down economies, shut down schools. Um, you said earlier, what if you live with the bear? So I imagine that has to be a factor. There are situations where children in particular are with the bear. All, this, all of this is affecting our, our childhood experiences for so many kids right now. Is that where this started? with this, um, this article that you all published? That was one piece of it. There were actually two questions that were being asked. What you asked just now is the most significant question, which is when the child is trapped with the bear, uh, what do they do? Because the, when you're thinking about child abuse, it's typically not the child that is going to report it. It is usually like an educator or a physician or uh, somebody outside of the household that observes this is going on and as a mandated reporter reports it. Well, when the children are stuck inside, they are trapped with a bear. And what's worse is that the bear might be going a little bit stir crazy uh, because they have the additional pressure of economic instability, potentially loss. There's a huge, tremendous amount of fear and anxiety around the disease. Um, they don't have the access to the same resources to cope, those protective factors are often less available, particularly when we had the shelter in place orders, fewer social supports are available. So the bear has fewer places to go and fewer resources at its disposal, which can make it angrier um, and more upset. And for these vulnerable children that don't have anyone to protect them, they are trapped. And it breaks my heart to think about the children that are trapped with a uh, in these very abusive situations and no one to intervene on their behalf. They can't call the hotline, you know? Right. So that was part of the uh, question. 
And so because that question was being asked, the other question that was being asked was, is COVID-19 an ACE by itself? Is it, should it be added to the list of those 10 original adverse childhood experiences? And um, the article was also an attempt to answer that question about whether or not COVID should be identified as a, as a new ACE. And, and at this point, I mean, let's cue listeners in a little bit. What is your position on that at this point? Should that, should that be added to the 10? Is it part of what we're just everything with life? What does that, what does that mean for children right now? The position that we came to, and we actually did share this with uh, Dr. Anda to make sure we were on track that he agreed because <laughs> nice. we worked with him really closely to educate others about ACEs at the Michigan ACE Initiative, um, is that COVID-19 is not a new ACE by itself. Instead, what it is, is it is a, a crisis event that can exacerbate the impacts of the problems that already exist, especially for populations that are experiencing disadvantage and are disproportionately vulnerable to the Mm -hmm. impacts of COVID-19. So um, for some families, especially like the little kids, uh, zero through five age, you think mommy and daddy are the whole world. If mom and dad have access to uh, sufficient income to have a stable family, those kids actually might really benefit from the additional time with, from mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some older kids, you know, the adolescents, who were bullied at school who actually found online schooling and being at home to be a reprieve from the pressures of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the kids who were already in vulnerable situations, COVID-19 makes them more vulnerable. Um, It also can shift some of the families that were on the edge, uh, you know, so they were sort of vulnerable, but maybe okay. You know, you lose the job and potentially as the fear and the anxiety step in, they might be more likely to drink and engage in the use of illicit substances. It might make a a mental um, health issue that was kind of under control worse, which Mm -hmm. can lead to emotional stress, which can lead to forms of abuse and neglect. And so what we know is that uh, COVID-19 has the, uh, is very likely to make ACEs worse for families that were already somewhat vulnerable. And populations with disadvantage in particular are especially vulnerable because they often don't have the resources to cope with it. So, so I hear you say then that, that COVID-19 isn't necessarily a huge traumatic event for every child. I, I really like what you said about for those kids who face difficulties in school, distance learning may have been just a thing for them or for the kids who didn't see their mom and dad now are seeing them because they're working from home. That could be a great thing for them. We have to just be able to manage the stresses of that and understand that those who are vulnerable might need more attention. Yes, exactly. Um, and so it's going to depend on, you know, how COVID in fact impacts the family It's going to depend on the family situation, how the family are responding to the crisis, how they're talking to their kids about the crisis, their own resources to manage the crisis. You know, are they, is their family stable or not? How are they managing the stress and do they have the resources and access to manage the stress. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely a case-by-case situation. 
But what we do know is that um, what we are fairly confident about is that the families that are already vulnerable are likely to be more vulnerable as a result of the crisis. Yeah. So is there, in, in your and in, in Richard's research and um, deep thinking that you've done on this, is there anything in particular that came up that the community can do to help? Like if I hear these stats, think about these kids, I begin to feel helpless. What, what can we do to help in some way? So that's one of the more difficult situations uh, or questions to ask because we're often isolated from one another. But uh, paying attention to the people in your life during this time is really important. So if you have friends, if you have neighbors, uh, look out for them. And if you think that there might be a difficult situation at home, you can ask them, are you doing okay? Are you safe? If you have children in your life that you weren't sure about uh, and you have an opportunity to call them or you see them walking in your neighborhood, paying attention to the cues is, is important. Um, I know that some of the advice that teachers have had is to pay attention while they are doing online teaching um, things that are happening in the background. Is there a lot of yelling? Does the child show up uh, with potentially some marks? So there are ways to pay attention virtually um, as well. So if you're on a Zoom call and you see some things happening, you know, maybe there's some yelling in the background, uh, ask, are you doing okay? Because there are resources that are open now and available. There are um, shelters, workers are still working, protective services can still be called. Mm -hmm. And um, if all you can do is like, even for the kids that aren't being abused, all most people are experiencing stress. I think as a community, one of the really important things to think about is that, you know, how are we caring for one another and making sure that people are creating that psychological safety so that they do feel um, that that emotional connection with other individuals. It's so important to maintain our resilience through this. And I, I love the idea of just simply checking in whether whether you think someone's at risk or whether you just kind of have a feeling whether they just they cross your mind for whatever reason check in right just ask how they're doing make sure you know what can i do to help you anything anything else just checking in taking care of each other is so important um mm -hmm. what about the the bigger picture from there then if we back up will will this idea this conversation this research that you and richard have done impact what our government can do to help with all of this Ideally, um, you would hope that uh, from the crisis in a lot of ways has highlighted uh, the inequities and the risks that vulnerable families face every day. Mm -hmm. um, it's harder to, when you look at the way COVID has shown up and disproportionately affected certain populations more than others and how many families are more at risk than others, um, it's really important, I think, for us to look at what are the policies and practices that we need to change to help families. Um, so looking at our data, one of the things that we talked about was how African-American populations have been, in particular, have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Yeah. Um, so they are 13% of the overall population, they're 40% of the deaths. And that's data that I think was um, not as uh, 
in the forefront before the COVID-19 crisis. We knew there was inequity, but it's really hard to ignore those kinds of numbers. Yeah. And so looking at what are the systems and policies and practices that we're, we need to put in place to reduce those inequities, to make it so that every single person, regardless of socioeconomic status, race, background, has the opportunity to be safe and healthy and thrive. Uh, we haven't done that historically. In fact, we've created systems that have done the opposite. And so um, I would hope that as a result of this crisis, uh, government leaders and community leaders begin to reevaluate those policies and practices to see how we can create a safer and more equitable community for everybody. And, and healthier. Again, we go back to these trauma incidences, you know, the, the ACEs for children, but also is that as we grow up, those affect us and the constant trauma depletes our health, which makes it harder to, to live healthy, you know, as kind of silly as that sounds, but, and then it, and then it creates, you know, you, you mentioned off the read off the stats about how many more, when you have more ACEs, you're more likely to smoke, you're more likely to drink, you're more likely to be depressed, which leads to other things like that mental health and the physical health, all of it, that is impacted by these traumas. Yeah, those policies and, and, and can can hopefully change. Um, great, great perspective, Jennifer. How how about um, the, the the lasting effects of COVID nineteen in particular? Maybe based on how ACEs tend to play out. Can we can we expect to see a fallout from COVID nineteen for years to come in our children? I would say that that's actually difficult to predict. We anticipate that we will be seeing fallout from COVID-19. I think a lot of how much fallout we see will depend on how long the crisis persists. You know, had COVID-19 um, been done this month, we probably would see fewer impacts because it looks like it's going to persist probably into early next year in terms of the kinds of changes uh, students are still looking at potentially online school in the fall. We're still doing all of our meetings uh, virtually. We're still going to be seeing economic impacts for a while. Uh, the longer this persists, the more likely it is that we will see a significant impact from it. I think what we need to do as a um, society is to prepare and think about those impacts and gear up for what's going to happen when we do fully reopen and that we will be seeing additional adversity that comes from any crisis, you know, whether it be like the Flint water crisis or Hurricane Katrina or uh, for individuals that are living in some sort of a war zone. When there is a crisis, adversity increases and there is a fallout. Hmm. So the long-term impacts, the longer it lasts, the more we'll see. Such, such great insight. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of hard stuff to hear, but a lot of hope I hear in, in there as well. So thank you for that, Jennifer. Is there anything that you want listeners to walk away with from our conversation to make sure that they kind of keep, you know, it, keep in mind? So regardless of whether or not you are coming from a place where you have a lot of resources or a few resources, everybody's experiencing stress from COVID-19. Um, so, and as I mentioned earlier, in terms of protective factors, one of the best buffering effects of that is relationship with other people. As much as you can, connect with other people and lean on those relationships. 
and let's take care of one another as a society. You know, um, the state of Michigan actually has, and if you are in crisis, if you are in a situation where you don't know where to go, um, Michigan has a program that they introduced called Stay Well. Uh, you can look at michigan.gov forward slash stay well. Um, they have free crisis counseling. They have access to resources in your community. There's information about like a suicide hotline. There are resources out there. So if you're struggling, reach out. Um, and if you see somebody else hurting, also reach out. As we mentioned earlier, sometimes just doing that check-in to make, make sure that someone's okay is really, really important. If you see a really dark Facebook post or something show up on your social media that suggests that they might be having a really tough time, and it's one of those one or two words that seems to be a call for help, follow up on that because you don't know what they're going through and finding out can make a really big difference for them and their children. Um, and then I guess in terms of the takeaway socially, I really hope that we start to pay attention to um, the kind of society that we have created and what we can do to make it better so that uh, when crisis hits again, because when crisis will hit again, um, we are prepared to um, care for one another and that we are prepared to address those impacts and that the impacts do not feel disproportionately on certain populations compared to others. So I'm hoping that we use this opportunity to reimagine what needs to happen and how we need to um, examine our policies and practices so that we create a more equitable, loving, caring society that ultimately will reduce childhood adversity. Very well said, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Um, the Michigan ACE Initiative is at miace.org. Uh, you write there quite a bit, get some great stuff there. Uh, is there anywhere in particular that you should, that you like to send people to connect with you and see what you're doing? Um, so our website's a great place to visit. Um, I also, the Michigan ACE Initiative works very closely with MPHI, the Michigan Public Health Institute, and have a lot of different resources that are available to support communities and families. Um, yeah. I mentioned before the Stay Well program, that was something that's been especially uh, designed for COVID response. And I would encourage anyone who's struggling to check that out. All right. Those links are all in the show notes, uh, as well as the link to the article and the study where the uh, ACEs came from. So uh, Jennifer Nottingham, thank you again for being a part of this conversation with us. Thank you so much for the invitation, Dan. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.